This is the last part of Strong Meat, um, and we're grateful for your attendance during this series. And it's quite a thing when you announce topics, uh, because that gives an opportunity for people to either uh, kind of check out or check in, and I'm grateful you're here. Uh, our theme scripture for this series has been Hebrews chapter 5, and uh, I'll read it one more time just in your hearing for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. You're become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to those that are of full age, even those who, are, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so this is the comparison that we see from the writer of Hebrews that mature Christians, they, they tackle the strong meat of the word, the strong meat of doctrine, the strong meat of commitment, the strong meat of lifestyle. And, and that is our series in a nutshell. Uh, there comes a time when we need to be teaching others, not just needing to be taught ourselves. There comes a time when we need to be a blessing to others, not just always needing somebody else to bless us or help us or pick us up or encourage us. There comes that time. Everybody goes through hard times, but the more mature you become in the Lord, uh, you have fewer high, high peaks and low, low valleys. You just kind of level out. And there's a wonderful thing about consistency, just serving God consistently. There does come a time when we need to trade in our, our milk for meat. And so that's our series in a nutshell. And I will say it one last time. There is nothing wrong with a baby being a baby or a new convert being a new convert. That is not what we're talking about. Uh, but we are talking about reaching that stage, growing and being a disciple until you can kind of uh, look after yourself, feed yourself from the word of God, live for God by yourself. This isn't about being an independent kind of a person. This is about being dependent on the Lord to such an extent that, that you don't need somebody to carry you. You're there to help carry others. Now, in this series, I felt led uh, at the beginning of this year to talk about the four areas of discipleship that Jesus talked about in the middle chapter of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And uh, he gave us four expectations for his disciples. He expected this. He expected us to do these things. It wasn't a wish. It wasn't maybe. It wasn't if. It was when you do these things. And here's what Jesus told us his disciples would do. They would serve they would pray, they would fast, and they would give. Those are not the only major areas of discipleship, of course, but they're very significant, so much so that Jesus mentioned them when he talked to his climbing companions, his disciples. And, and so that's what we're talking about in this series. One of our district elders wrote to me this week about this series because of the snow day on Sunday. He had actually watched the service Sunday night online. And here's what he said, tongue in cheek. This was his email to me. Although Jesus taught giving, serving, fasting, and prayer, we don't have many examples of the disciples doing these things until after Pentecost. Jesus told them to tarry in Jerusalem, but instead Peter took six of them with him fishing. They couldn't pray an hour in the garden, but they could fish all night. 
And then after Jesus ascended, the 11 went to Jerusalem. However, their priority was having bed and breakfast. It says they abode in the upper room. They ate and they slept there. Yes, they continued with the others, but they also went to the temple. So it wasn't a 10-day prayer meeting like we sometimes think. And then he says, tongue in cheek, he said, I trust you have quicker results than the Lord. So I wrote back to him and I said, that is an amazing observation. That old human nature is pretty strong, isn't it? And here's what I said. I'm hoping that since we're now on this side of Pentecost, I will perhaps have quicker results than the Lord. I'm hoping because we've got the Holy Ghost. Our little humorous exchange is actually quite telling because... The truth is that serving and praying and fasting and giving do not come naturally or easily to our human nature. Your flesh and my flesh rebels against anything that doesn't reward it or recognize it. So we do need the Holy Ghost to help us follow the commandments and live up to the expectations of Jesus. Now, out of all the things that he says in this chapter in the Sermon on the Mount, his comments on our last subject on giving are the most lengthy. And so we're just going to look at a few of his summary statements. Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. And here's his point. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Another summary statement in this section on giving, Jesus says in verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. And here's his point. You cannot serve God and mammon. And finally, at the very end, he says this, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. Stop worrying about tomorrow, about all the things that you need. For the morrow shall take care for the shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Uh, what tomorrow brings, tomorrow will bring. But God is in control, and you will be okay because you're God's child. Is basically what he's saying. Now Jesus not only said in the Sermon on the Mount, that his disciples would be givers. He says that very plainly. But he says he expected that giving financially to his kingdom would be their first priority financially. That's what he said. And yes, the local branch of the kingdom of God is your local church. That's it. The Bible devotes twice as many verses to money 2,350 of them, twice as many verses to money as it does to faith and prayer combined. Why? Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why? Jesus used 16 out of his 38 parables to teach his disciples about money. Why? 15% of Jesus' recorded words in scripture concern money. Why? 
Jesus said more about money than he did about any other subject. Why? It begs the question. And there are three reasons, I believe, here in Matthew 6. Number one, your giving chooses for you your focus. Your giving chooses your focus. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Now, your heart runs your life, not your physical heart, your spiritual heart. In the Bible, the word heart indicates the center of our human nature. And while it is associated with our emotions, the word heart in the Bible is really not synonymous with your feelings like the love songs. It's synonymous with your will. Your heart is your will. And so our heart, the Bible says, your heart can obey, it can trust, it can know, it can forgive, it can love, it can believe, and none of those, not forgiveness, not love, not belief, none of those are feelings. All of those are choices that we make, not feelings that we have. And so the Bible instructs us to keep our heart or guard our heart with all diligence. Because the Bible says, out of your heart come the issues of life. So the Bible gives us an important task there. Keep your heart, guard your heart, watch your heart. But then the Bible also declares in the book of Jeremiah that our heart is deceitful and it's wicked, it's treacherous. We can't even truly know what is in our heart. Now, obviously that's a problem. If God says, guard your heart, and then he says, you don't know what's in your heart, that's a major issue. If out of your heart come all of the issues, all of the decisions, all of the important factors of your life, and you can't even know what's in your heart, you've got a major problem, and so do I. But then the Bible says, a constant prayer. It's the constant theme of the writers of the Psalms. Our constant prayer has to be, God, search my heart and reveal to me what is in my heart, what you see in me, because only then will I know how to actually live. So here's our, our, our challenge. We've got to keep our heart because it affects everything we do. We don't know our heart, so we've got to be praying. And as you're fasting and praying, pray that God reveals your heart to you because there are some things that if Jesus ever puts his finger on and reveals to you, you would change them if Jesus talked to you about them because you love him. But you gotta ask him, search your heart. So since your heart affects everything you do in your life and since you can't even know what is in it, how dangerous would it be to live your life without having God in control? And yet that's what many people do, exactly that. They live life on autopilot without God in control. And so that's our dilemma, that's our principle, that's how we've got to live. And, and, and here's what I'd like to bring to you tonight. There is only one exception to that principle right there. In scripture, there's only one exception that you don't know what's in your heart. There's one exception. And the one exception is this. It's in the area of giving. You cannot control your heart. The Bible says you can't even know what is in your heart but you can focus your heart 
and your giving chooses your focus. Jesus said, wherever you choose to put your treasure, your heart will automatically follow your choice. So you take your treasure. We deal in big money here at CCC. <laughs> you take your treasure and you put it in your possessions, your mind, your thoughts, your heart, your emotions, uh, your, your, your choices, your activities. Everything goes to where you put your treasure. If you put your treasure in real estate, if you put your treasure in, in possessions, if you put your treasure in recreation, if you put your treasure in leisure, if you put your treasure in anything on this earth, you think about what your treasure is in. But here's the great news, and this is what Christians have an advantage, because you can't know your heart, but you can focus your heart. So if you put your treasure in missions, guess where your heart focuses? On missions. If you put your treasure in the kingdom of God, guess where your heart focuses? You can't control your heart. You can't even know what's in your heart, but you can focus your heart by where you invest your treasure. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You put your treasure over here, your heart's going to be over here. You cannot help that principle. It is the only exception to the principle I just mentioned, that you can't know what's in your heart, but you can focus your heart. And God gave us that exception. If it will focus, your giving will focus your investment, whether it's in possessions, pleasure, business, education, wherever you put your treasure. That is why, brothers and sisters, it is so important for all of us to make sure we are investing in God's kingdom. And Jesus said, invest in his kingdom first. Secondly, your, your giving not only chooses the focus of your life and the focus of your heart, your giving chooses your master. Jesus said, nobody can serve two masters. Now you would think this verse would say, you cannot serve God and the devil, but that's not what it says. It says you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is our money and our possessions. It's, it's like an old word that would mean materialism. Why did Jesus say it that way? It's because it's a pretty obvious choice between God and the devil for all of us. We would pass that test. I'm choosing God. But here's the thing. Money and possessions have the greatest potential to replace the lordship of Jesus in your life. It's so easy to get off track with a career, with a business opportunity, with education, with possessions, with pleasure, with anything. It's so easy. And so Jesus warned us. He said, you're my disciples. You're my climbing companions. I want to teach you something. You can't serve God and serve mammon, possessions, money, materialism at the same time. No man can do that. No man can serve two masters. And so giving for us that are Christians, if you're not a person of faith, you can check out. You don't have to do any of this. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is what he expects us to do. Giving is not just about money. Giving is about conquering the spirit of materialism that hooks us to this world and disconnects us from our faith and our trust in God. That's what your giving is mostly about. God doesn't need your $20 bill. 
well. God needs the breakage of, of that spirit of materialism. He, he wants to pull you out of that. He, he wants to get you away from that so you can serve him freely. None of us can enthrone the true God unless in the process we dethrone all of the other gods. And if Jesus Christ is not Lord over our money and our possessions, then he's not our Lord, period. Um, in Luke 19, Jesus met with a man named Zacchaeus. You know his story. The little short man that got up in the tree. He gauged his spiritual condition by Zacchaeus' willingness to part with his money. When Zacchaeus said, I'm going to pay people back uh, threefold and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, Jesus said, salvation's come to this house. He judged his spiritual condition by his willingness to give his money. In Matthew 19, uh, Jesus gauges the rich young ruler's spiritual condition by his unwillingness to part with his money. There's an undeniable connection in the teaching and in the ministry of Jesus. He calls us to take action as his people to break our bondage to money and possessions and free us to live under his lordship. So, so let me throw a couple of gospel things at you. What would you tell a little tiny widow woman on a fixed income or no income who comes to church and she doesn't have money for her next meal, but she wants to give uh, her last dollar in the collection. What would you tell her if she said, I don't have any money for a meal, but I'm going to give this last? Well, here's what Jesus said. We don't have to guess what he thinks. He calls his disciples. He said, see that lady over there, that little widow? She cast more in than everybody that put in the offering today. They cast in out of their abundance. They had lots left over, but she out of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Do you know what Jesus did not do? He didn't say, go get the money and give it back to her. He didn't say, go find a fish and you'll find a coin in the fish's mouth to give the coin to her. He didn't do that. He let her sacrifice because he knows what giving does for people who follow him. Luke chapter 12, there's another story. What would you tell a diligent businessman who's just expanding his business and his real estate holdings. And what would you tell him? He just wants to provide for his family. He wants to have a nice retirement. He wants to be wise. Uh, he, he wants to make good investments. He wants to live comfortably. What would you tell him? You know what we would tell him. Man, you're smart. That's just good business. That's what we'd tell him. But we don't have to guess what Jesus said. God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. You focused on all that stuff and you haven't put God's kingdom first. Whose shall these things be which you've provided? What's going to happen to all your stuff when you die? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It's not wrong to have things. But Jesus said if you're not rich toward God and you're focused more on that, then you've got a problem. Your giving, somebody say, my giving. Your giving affects eternity. Your eternity and the eternity of others. More people are sidetracked from serving God by materialism 
than by anything else. It's their job, it's their career, it's their business, it's their possessions, it's their vacation, it's, it's whatever. More people get sidetracked from serving God by materialism than anything else. If you want to know who your master is, it's pretty easy. You look at your checkbook, you look at your calendar, and you look at your church. Here's what you look at. The way you spend your treasure, the way you spend your time, and the way you give of your talent in God's kingdom. You'll know your master right away. Talk is cheap, but giving costs you something. Jesus said it this way, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Is all the stuff that is taking your time, your energy, your focus, is all of that really worth losing the focus on God's kingdom and your soul? Turn to your neighbor and say, strong meat. You said that in a very depressed kind of a tone. Turn around and say, strong meat. Now, you all came tonight, and you all knew what the subject was going to be because if you've got four parts, and we know what the parts are, and there's only one part left, you knew what the subject was going to be. So take a deep breath. You're okay. Offering's over. Tithing is the top number one financial priority for every Christian if they want God's blessing on their finances. Now, tithing is 10% of your income and increase. Why did God ask for 10%? He could have said 20, he could have said 50, he could have said 90, he could have said, give it all, it's all mine. But he asks only for us to return 10%. We need to remind ourselves every once in a while that everything we have belongs to God and he just asks him to manage it for us that's called stewardship, and it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be wealthy. A steward of God's resources that he's given into your hands, you just have to be faithful to follow his commandments. In the Old Testament, there wasn't just one tithe. There were actually three tithes. One tithe, 10%, supported the priests and the Levites. Another tithe, 10%, provided for times of worship, the feasts and festivals in the house of God. And a third tithe supported orphans and widows and the poor. And that third tithe was collected every third year. So that amounted to an average tithe in the Old Testament of 23.3% of their income and increase every year. And that's just the Old Testament. You know, people say, well, you know, tithing, and I don't know if there's an amount or whatever. That's Old Testament. In every other sense, the New Testament raises the standard. And so I'll just let that hang there, and you can think about that. Tithing 10% of your income and increase, that is not a maximum goal for you as a disciple. That's a minimum standard for you as a disciple. God's people don't pay their tithes. We say that, but we don't pay our tithes. And we certainly don't give our tithe. We return our tithe to God. He gave 100% to us and he asked us to return 10%. So we're not paying it and we're not giving it and it's not a tax. It's just what we do. It's what disciples do. So the Bible speaks of bringing and taking and presenting, not giving the tithe. 
And then the Bible emphasizes something else. Free will offerings, voluntary contributions that go beyond the tithe. So you could literally say tithing is not giving at all. Uh, it's not giving until you give beyond the tithe. Scripturally, giving beyond the tithe, that's what God considers free will offering or, or giving. Now, we did a Bible study about 10 years ago. If you've got a really good memory or you're really old, you will remember this. We did a Bible study series, a midweek series, about 10 years ago at CCC called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And we let everybody submit questions for a few weeks. And then we did, I think it was a four-part series. And one of the questions that came in is actually a very good question and a very common question. Here, here it is. If I have a business, are tithes supposed to be given on profit only or on all income? Part two, should I tithe on my net pay or my gross pay? And you may have had that question. Well, uh, here, here's the best answer I can give you. It's from the Bible, Proverbs 3 and verse uh, 9, which says, honor the Lord with thy substance, not just your bank balance, with your substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So tithing is not just giving 10% of my paycheck, it's giving 10% of my increase. And so if I get increase, that's something God's looking at to see if I'm so thankful for it, I'm gonna return 10% of that to, to, to him. If you don't want, if you wanna give me birthday money and you don't want me to tithe on it, keep your money. If you wanna give me a gift card and you don't want me to tithe on it, keep your gift card because it's gonna be tithed on. I just believe that this principle is so critical and important that we need to really think about this as disciples. This ain't milk. This is strong meat. Nobody forces anybody to do anything at CCC. Nobody checks up on people and nobody calls people and writes nasty collection letters to people. We don't do that here because that's not right in the kingdom of God. God doesn't want people to be forced to give. But if you want to know the truth from the word of God, it's a principle you need to think about. What's my income and what's my increase? And you need to think about both of those. Tithes should be paid on your increase, not just your income, because everybody's financial situation is unique. Sometimes the amount on our paycheck is actually far less than the total of what we've been blessed with that week or that month or that year. And so we need to think about not just income, but increase. And some, sometimes the reason people can't afford to give is because they're not giving. And when they're not giving, God's principles don't kick in. God's blessing doesn't kick in. And then they say, well, I can't give. Try giving before you say you can't give. Because if you start giving to God, his promises of provision will work for you. Millions of people are not wrong. God's Bible is not wrong. God's principles are not wrong. If you give to God and put him first, God's principles will work for you. Deuteronomy chapter eight, thou shalt remember, here's why we give. Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. 
It is not you. I know you think you're smart. I know you think you work hard. I know you think you're ambitious. I know you think you're a good entrepreneur or whatever it is that you are, but you remember something the Bible says. It is God that gives you the power to gain wealth. You have health and strength because of God. You have knowledge and education because God gave you the brain cells that could comprehend that. It is God that gives you power to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Giving is one of the greatest adventures a Christian can have. A mature disciple. Now, we're not talking about the babies in the milk bottles. We're talking about strong meat and mature disciples. A mature disciple doesn't ask, how much more can I keep? A mature disciple, they get a kick out of this. How much more can I give? You say, that's strong meat. Yeah, but it's strong blessings too when you do it. So uh, just... We've done this before, but I wrote these down months and months ago, and I think these are really good principles. Here's principles for your giving. Uh, Number one, give systematically. Because if you don't give with a system, you'll never give substantially. You know, there's a few people that uh, you know kind of float around Christendom, and, and, and they'll give like this big, massive offering, like once every 15 years. Uh, That's helpful, but it's not God's plan and it's not God's principle. And and so it it, it may look splashy or flashy at some point, but it's not God's principle. But when you give systematically, you say, I can't give a lot, but if you give it often, if you give it consistently, if you give it regularly, it adds up to a lot of blessing in God's kingdom. Give systematically or you never give substantially. And secondly, give spontaneously. Be ready Um, to step out in faith when a need is presented. Uh, One one thing I love about our church is we have missionaries here. I was talking to a missionary who's coming here just before service tonight. And I was telling him, you know, you're going to have a phenomenal service. This church loves missions and missionaries. One thing I am so pleased and proud of our church is when a need is presented, this church just rises to the challenge and rallies to the cause and blesses the kingdom of God. That's a giving spontaneously by faith. It's so blessed to give that way. Uh, thirdly, give sacrificially. Give beyond your ability what you think is comfortable if you want to see God's ability. It is the most incredible thing to get to the end of a year and, and you know, some people I know, it's just like you just put money into your checking account, you write a bunch of checks and then you hope and pray for the best. I, I know that. I'm not you. I could tell you, if I could open up my computer right now, I could tell you to the cent what's in every account. I could tell you what's paid and what's not paid. I'm not you. You would give me a heart attack. My blood pressure would be 700 over 450. I can't do that. And so I'm this calculating, you know, whatever. I got it together. But there's one place that I just love to get to the end of a year and say, my goodness, I don't know how we did that. I love that. That is an adventure to invest in God's kingdom. And then God just blesses you in so many different ways. It's amazing. Uh, uh, Fourthly, give quietly. And I don't mean shh. That's not what I mean. And I don't mean give. So, you know, we talked about that last time. Uh, Your left hand doesn't know what you're writing. I'm not talking about that. Here's what I mean by give quietly. 
We give as a church. Um, nobody gets singled out when a missionary comes and we all give in the offering. Nobody gets singled out when we send money to home missionaries and global missionaries and, and, and help people and whatever. Here's, here's what's so beautiful about that. Nobody is tempted to have this big head, well, I did this and I have. We just all give through God's kingdom and then nobody gets the credit, but God gets the glory and God's kingdom is advanced and what a great way to give. You know, it's the era of social media and people want points for everything. And, and, you know, like, you know, it's like a selfie with like, I gave 550 to the United Way, you know, and get my picture in the paper. It's, it's amazing the generation that we're in. And social media uh, didn't create this. Social media just amplified it all over the world and all over the internet. But we don't do it that way as disciples. We like to give, um, we, we like to give collectively. It's, it's amazing. Here's another principle that I think is so phenomenal. Give progressively. Challenge yourself. You're a mature disciple. You're, you're a meat eater, except during the Daniel fast. You're a meat eater. And so give progressively. Stretch yourself and do a little more and watch God supply and provide. Do a little more this year than you did last year. Uh, do, do a little bit more in missions than you did in missions last time around and, and watch God provide. Give progressively. And finally, uh, the last principle is simply this. Give cheerfully. If it makes you mad to give, for heaven's sake, don't give. Because you're not going to get a reward from God. Uh, you, you'll just raise your blood pressure. Now, now I will say, disclaimer here, uh, on behalf of the finance department, and we've got two wonderful guys that, that run our, our church finance department. We're so thankful for them. They keep us on track and make sure all the bills are paid and, and all of that. It's, it's amazing what a team we've got. Uh, but I will make a disclaimer on their behalf. They will take money from a grouch. They will. They'll take your money if you're happy, mad, sad, depressed. They'll, they'll take your money. But, but, but God doesn't give rewards to people that give money begrudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. Here's the scripture. Every man, here's how you give, according as you purpose in his heart. Nobody's forcing you to give. Nobody's holding a whip to your, your back. Um, as you purpose in your heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, not being forced, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The word cheerful there actually is the same root as the word hilarious. God loves somebody that gets a kick out of giving into his kingdom. And my goodness, there's a lot of people in this church that that's exactly how they live. They love to invest in the kingdom of God. Finally, third point for tonight and the final one. Your giving not only chooses your focus and not only chooses your master, your giving chooses who is going to be your source. Jesus said, if you'll seek the kingdom of God first, all the rest of the things that you need will be added to you. Now giving, giving, what a subject. Giving is counterintuitive. You could describe giving as a financially irrational act. Your natural mind will tell you if you give something away, you lose it. But God's word tells us that if you give something away, it actually increases us in many ways and it releases God's blessings on our lives. So you don't lose it when you give it in the kingdom of God. It multiplies and comes back to you. 
And, and people say, and, and, and I've heard this, um, I just can't afford to tithe. And, and, and we used to be so kind. Pastor Jack and I, I was more kind back then. He's just been kind forever. We used to say to people, well, you know, start small and work your way up. And we don't say that anymore because a tithe is a tithe. And, and you're either tithing or you're not tithing. Ladies, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. It's the same with tithing. You're either tithing or you're not tithing. A tip is not a tithe. A token is not a tithe. A tithe, 10% is a tithe. So we don't say that anymore. We just say, try it and watch God work. Uh, you can't afford not to tithe if you're a disciple. Jesus expected you to, to give into his kingdom. Here's the principle, and, and it works with every area of life. Here's Jesus' principle. Not my principle. This is Jesus' principle. It works with every area of your life. Whatever area you want God to bless, put him first. If you want him to bless your finances, put him first in your finances. If you want him to bless your home, put him first in your home. Your marriage, your relationships, your career, your business, your time, put him first. And if you'll put him first in that area, he will bless that area. God blesses whatever he is put first in. He is not content with leftovers. He wants first place. So every one of us, strong meat, I know, strong meat for disciples, mature believers, you have to make this important decision. Either you are going to be your source, your smarts, your, your, your business acumen, your skills, your talents, either you are going to be your source or God is going to be your source of blessing. You have to make that decision. You cannot have it both ways. If you put yourself first, then you have to busy yourself and stress yourself to add all these other things to your life. But if you put God first, he said, I'll get involved. And if you'll put my kingdom first, I'll make sure that all these other things get added to your life. Now, what a deal that is. Amen. And if you think about it, if you go to your job tomorrow, you think, well, I, I, this job, that's how I'm adding all these things to my life. My job is my source. Your job is not really your source. One little blip in the economy in Canada and, and your job could be gone. One little tweak of the stock market, your company could be gone. Anything could happen. Your health, your strength could be gone. And so many of the things that you're relying on, actually your job has very little to do with providing all your needs. You want to thank God that he's in charge of your life because he's a better provider for you than you can be for you or your boss or your job can be for you. It's, it's amazing. During their journey through the wilderness, God told Israel, if you will put me first in keeping the Sabbath, here's what I'll do. I'll send manna and I will give you, if you'll take the Sabbath off one day out of seven, I'll give you seven days of provision in six days. And, and he says it right here. Uh, on the sixth day, I'm going to give you bread for two days. I want you to stay in your place. Don't you go out looking for manna on the seventh day. I'm going to give you enough in six days to fund you, to feed you rather, for seven days. And he built that principle into the rhythm of their lives. Here's the principle God was teaching them. My success is not because of me. 
My success is because of God. My possessions are not because of me. My possessions are because of God. I am not my source. God is my source. What a principle. And so God built that into the rhythm of Israel. And God's principle about the Sabbath day, it works the same with your time and your talent and your treasure. What God did for Israel, he wants to do for us. He set up a structure that makes us feel like we're falling behind. Well, if I don't work that seventh day, then, then if I tithe, if I give 10%, if I give to missions, he set up a structure in his kingdom that sets us up to feel like, well, I'll fall behind if I do that. Here's why he did that. So we would be forced to trust him when we give to him and put him first. And when we trust God and when we follow his commandments, he does what he did for Israel. He said, I'll give you seven days of provision based on only six days of work. If you honor God with your time, and your treasure, your church involvement, your, your church support, that stretches your faith like nothing else because you need your time and you need that money that you made. But people who put God first in these areas, your time and your treasure, they grow faster as disciples than anybody else because they're trusting God, not in these highfalutin spiritual ways that nobody can identify or quantify. No, they're trusting God in practical ways every single week of their lives. Here's how disciples think. God, every week of my life, I'm going to trust you for seven days of your provision based on six days of my work. I'm going to give you some of my time. That time obviously could be services. That time could be volunteering at your church, volunteering in a ministry. But God, I trust you. You're going to provide for me even though I give you a good chunk of my time. Here's another one. God, every paycheck of my life, I'm going to trust you that 100% of your provision will come my way based on only 90% of my earnings because I'm going to return to you that 10%. Really, the root of all of our financial stresses and problems comes down to one thing for disciples, and that's unbelief. Do I really trust God's promises? Do, do I really think that God knows more about how to handle my money than I know how to do it? Am I going to handle my finances the way God says to do it? Or am I going to use the, my money the way I think is best? So the, the bottom line is, do I really believe that God will take care of me if I do it his way? It's pretty obvious, brothers and sisters. God does not need our money. So why does he ask us to give it if he doesn't really need it? He can create it if he wanted to. Here's why. Tithing gives room for God to bless us. If we don't tithe, we are robbing God, according to the prophet Malachi. But we're not just robbing God. We're robbing ourselves because we're making ourselves our source instead of letting God be the source. This is the passage. It's the last prophet to speak in the Old Testament, Malachi. and He thunders down on Israel because they're not living right. Here's what he says. Will a man rob God? Really, the implied question is, is, would you be so arrogant as to rob God? 
Yet you have robbed me, God said. And you say, well, God, where have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and offerings. And so you're cursed with a curse. It doesn't go as far as it should because you're cursed with a curse. You're robbing me, even this whole nation. And here's what God says, watch this. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat provision in my house. And prove me now herewith, prove me here, saith the Lord of hosts, if you'll do that, you watch. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, it's gonna be such a great blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Furthermore, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he won't destroy the fruit of your ground. Stuff won't break down as often. God can do that. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Now you remember the exception clause I gave you earlier when we were talking about the heart. You can't know what's in your heart, but you have to guard your heart. But there's only one exception. You can't control your heart. You can't know what's in your heart. But one exception, you can focus your heart through your giving. Here's another exception. There are many places in the Bible where God is proving us, testing us, searching us, evaluating us, many of them, dozens of them, maybe hundreds of them. But there's one exception to that principle, and it's right here. And again, it deals with giving. Tithing is the only place in the Bible, this scripture right here, where God said, prove me. I normally prove you. I normally evaluate you. I normally look at what you're doing and, and I pass judgment on. You prove me here. It's with tithing. This is the one exception. God says, hey, let's have a giving contest. You give to me and I'll give to you and let's see who wins. Man, I love that contest. You give to me, you put me first and I'll give to you. We'll see who wins. And here's what God says. It's the only time God issues this invitation in the entire Bible. Prove me in this. Put me to the test. I dare you to do this. It's an amazing principle. Say, Pastor, our finances tight at the church. Is that why you're teaching on giving? Oh my goodness, no. We just had this incredible year. Eric sent us out the missions report today. I didn't even figure out the percentage. Somebody can do it in your head probably if you're really smart. Uh, missions went up $64,000 this year at CCC, our global missions. That's not North American missions. That's global missions giving this year. We hit $418,000 in the 2019 calendar year. That is amazing. That is astonishing. We are so grateful for you. We are so proud of you. You set the pace in so many ways. So no, things aren't tight. There's no stress and no pressure. Furthermore, nobody's salary increases if we get more money here. We all love being on a salary because it doesn't create any questions about, well, if the tithing goes up, does the pastor's income? We like it the way we got it. We don't do this because we get more. I'm not asking you or preaching to you or teaching you tonight because I want something from you. I want something for you because when you put God's kingdom first, God said, if you'll give to me, I'll give to you. If you'll bless my kingdom, I'll bless your kingdom. It's, it's, it's amazing. 
It's a wonderful thing to have a contest with God because he always wins. Not so much with conversations. You have a conversation with God, he always wins. That can be a little irritating. But you have a giving contest with God, he always wins. It's amazing. Paul said this in Acts 20. I've showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, help people, invest in people. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Remember this. Here's what he said. Remember how Jesus said this? It is more blessed to give than to receive. So your pastors, we don't want something more from you. We really in this year want something more for you. That's why we would preach on tithing and offering. Not because it increases our bottom line or CCC's bottom line. It blesses your life in such a major way. You don't have to. You may like that little bottle filled with milk. And you can just stay on milk for a good long time. Nobody's going to pressure you. We'll say, isn't that cute? <laughs> that 60-year-old person drinking that milk bottle. We'll just say it's cute. But if you want the adventure of a lifetime, learn as a disciple to put God first in every area and he will bless you. Unfortunately, the spiritual disciplines that we've talked about in this series, which are really quite common around CCC, we have a wonderful church, but these disciplines, serving and praying and fasting and giving, are actually quite foreign to many modern people who call themselves Christian or even Pentecostal. But I will say it one final time as we bring our series to a close. Jesus expected that all of his disciples would serve and pray and fast and give. Those are not optional activities for a child of God. They are not optional activities for mature believers. And my dear friends, precious people of God, they are not optional activities for any of us. Our Jesus expected that we would do this. In light of the fact that he's done so very much for us, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just make a special effort in 2020 to make sure we're following his commandments and his principles because the blessing of God, the Bible says, it is rich and he adds no sorrow with it. It's just undiluted blessing when you follow God's principles. And we are not taking an offering at the end of this message on giving so you can just relax. But I wish you would lift your hands in appreciation to God who gave you every blessing that's in your life. He gave you that job. He gave you the smarts to have that career. He gave you your house and your car. He gave you all that stuff. You said, I paid for it. Yeah, but God gave you the skill. He's your real source. And I wish you'd lift up your voice and just praise him because he's the the source of your life. He's the center of your life. He's everything to us. 
That's our Jesus. It's exciting to serve him. It's an adventure to follow his principles and just let his blessing come into our lives so it may be strong meat, but it's not a burden. And it may be strong meat, but it's sure not an irritation. It is a blessing to follow God's principles. (laughs) Oh my. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for this group of people that has been so kind to be at Bible study and take their time and, and, and give their kind attention to your word tonight. And I thank you for these people. Some of the most sacrificial, prayerful, dedicated, committed people in your church worldwide are in this room. And I thank you for these great people. Jesus, I pray that what has been taught here tonight that it would not be received as an irritant or a rebuke in any way. But Jesus, I pray that your people would sense what a blessing it is to follow your principles. It's not a burden, it's a blessing. And I pray, Jesus, that you would put a little hook in our jaw to pull us in further and deeper and higher in your kingdom and in your principles because there's blessing in it. And when we get blessed, we get to bless your church. And when your church gets blessed, we get to bless your kingdom around the world. And that's why we're here. And so Jesus, I pray that you would put more in our hand so we can put more in your kingdom. I pray, God, that you would put more in our our week so we can invest more in your kingdom. I pray, God, that you'd give some of these precious people advances and promotions and bonuses and all of that kind of stuff on their job, not so they can increase their standard of living, but so we can increase our standard of giving into your kingdom. Somebody's here, Jesus, and they really struggle with this because they don't have much. They really, truly, sincerely don't have much. But God, I pray that that you just kind of fan this little principle about tithing and giving into flame in their heart. Because even though they don't have much, they can do something. And when they do something, your blessing comes on them. And then they'll have more to invest in their kingdom. You said it, Jesus. Seek ye first my kingdom. That's what you said. You told us you'd add all these other things. We're not against all the other things. They're wonderful. But we're for your kingdom first. Let the blessing of the Lord rest on these faithful, sacrificial, giving, loving people. Every home, every family, every single, let your blessing rest on them, Jesus. It is not something more from them. It is something more for them. I pray this in Jesus' name, a blessing over every household represented here. I pray a blessing over every household and every family, every person in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you lift your hands one more time? Would you give Jesus a great, great praise? I know you love him. I hope you love Bible study. I know you love him. Would you give him a great praise? What a thrill. What a privilege. What a blessing. What an adventure to just invest our time and talent and treasure in the kingdom of God.